0: Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We're currently in chapter 1 at verse 13. Hi there, I'm Glendale Tony, and I'm glad you joined me today. Let's begin reading at verse 13 of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, where Paul writes this. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So we find that our reading is rather short uh, for today, but there's uh, kind of a reason for that. Uh, and uh, in order to review and uh, catch you up on where we've been in chapter 1, this is basically uh, a part of the doctrinal section, uh, section of, of the book of Ephesians. That would cover the first three chapters. But uh, in that doctrinal uh, section... Uh, is is our position in Christ. That is where we are in him. It is our relationship to him and in him. He is not only in us, but we are in him. And uh, that means that uh, that position uh, brings with it certain new dimensions of what uh, that relationship means. That means uh, as as a body, that's in chapter one. As a temple, that's in chapter two. And as a mystery, that comes up in chapter three. So uh, we'll get to all that in episodes to come. But right now, we're still in chapter one. And as a body, this is our position. We um, are in Christ. We've been incorporated into him. This is a spiritual work, and uh, uh, it is something beyond our own uh, personal senses Than which we could uh, somehow feel it. Uh, This is something we have to accredit to the Word of God and and take by faith that this is what the Spirit of God has done with us and to us in placing us into the body of Christ. He is now our head, and we are members of his body. Uh, There is much more to get into in that dimension of relationship, but uh, uh, that is in essence uh, what this first chapter is all about. And So he begins by praise, actually, uh, and that's uh, this entire uh, verses uh, 3 through 14. It is an entire single sentence in the Greek language uh, from uh, verse 3 through 14, and uh, that's the praise. The praise is for our spiritual possession, and then there's a prayer at the uh, last half of chapter 1, actually it begins in verse 15 through 23, and uh, that is the prayer that Paul Paul prays for spiritual perception, and uh, there are things that we need to see. There are things that we need to understand. There are things that we need to bring into our comprehension that otherwise we might not know. And so he prays for that and for the Ephesian believers. So th- that's uh, coming up later as well. But this one uh, one little paragraph, and it's not really a paragraph really, In uh, as we've already said, it is a complete sentence in the original Greek, but in our own English uh, translation, we can carve out the fact that uh, the verses 13 and 14 talks about the Spirit. Now, verses 3 through 6 talks about the Father, and uh, that is where we have been in uh, previous episodes in the book of Ephesians. And verses 7 through 12 talks about the son and what the son has done on our behalf, verses seven through 12. But now he gets to the fact that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, it says, in him. Again, uh, many of the the transitional phrases throughout this entire section has to do with in him. Uh, And uh, That is where we find ourselves. We are in him. That's because the spirit of God has has put us there. And uh, uh, we are there because he is there. And he put us in him. And in him, verse seven, it says we have redemption. That means his son. In him, we we have a purpose. We've been predestined for that purpose. Now, uh, again, we believe that as we look through that, uh, the way that that is actually, phrased in verse 5 and 6, that uh, technically speaking, in that particular uh, sentence or part of the sentence, he's not talking about people uh, getting saved because they are predestined to get saved, but rather that those who have already been placed into Christ have been also ordained predestined to reach a goal that goal is to the praise of his glory and that's what it says in um, verse uh, verse 6 it says to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved that is our target we are to reflect his glory that means his character not just uh not just the uh the idea of living life on earth or or not just the idea that uh, we've been um, we uh, we have a destination or an address that we will go to heaven when we die uh, that is a perfectly good thing to anticipate by the way but that's not uh, that, the salvation is more than that and that's what Paul is getting at in terms of what he's willing to praise God for of all of God's works on our behalf and that includes the fact that we have a destiny God has prescribed a destiny for all all those who believe in Christ and we will reach that destiny by God's grace we will reflect his glory in the end even though we may be a feeble reflection today uh, maybe a little foggy or maybe a little out of uh, out of focus uh, but uh, one day we will reach that uh, that reflection with clarity uh, and we will um, uh, glorify Christ glorify the father and it says that uh, in Him we have redemption, and He has purposed this for us, so that uh, uh, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, it says in verse uh, verse twelve, that uh, uh, to the praise of His glory. And so, so again, that phrase, to the praise of His glory, and um, then He He finalizes with this uh, final uh, 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 thing here, this expression of of the spirit. Uh, Something Christ has done on our behalf is so that uh, to the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And then you see in verse 13, in him, you also, Uh, and in many regards, you need to uh, go back to that other verse, you see, to make that connection, verbally speaking, where Paul has said to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ, he's talking about the original believers. And in his case, he's talking about the original believers who were actually Jewish. And uh, uh, even though there were uh, a handful of Gentile believers in the beginning, and yet uh, it was primarily dominated by Jewish believers. And so he's kind of making a contrast when he gets to verse 13 to reassure the believers in Ephesus, who by then uh, probably were dominated by Gentile believers in that congregation in that city. And so he says, in him, you also. And so he's including them into the same program. We are on an equal program with the original believers uh, that came um out of Judaism, and that is exactly what Paul is getting at here. Because we are all in Him. Now we're going to get into that uh, much more in the uh, uh, episodes to come and in the chapters to come. But uh, this is the the impact of Paul's transition at this particular point. And you may not uh, get it if you merely uh, refer back to only the verses that I read today. And instead, you need to look at the context to see that context to see the flow of Paul's thought. And so, uh, the fact that uh, after listening to the, he says, you also after listening to the message of truth, uh, this is this is a listening uh, part of uh, of uh, saving faith. Uh, that means it starts with listening. It this is not just a feeling that people uh, have. This is not just an uh, uh, an uncommunicatable uh, sort of uh, experience that that somehow after this experience you become enlightened. This is an actual communicable kind of message. This means that someone can say these things and uh, say them to a fellow human being and they can understand it. So it takes listening. In fact, in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse uh, 17, it says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. First uh, Corinthians 15, verse one, uh, which says the gospel, which I preached to you which you also received. The gospel message is something to be communicated. That is part of what we have uh, because we listen to this message and respond to this message because it is a proposition we're responding to. And not only is this uh, communicable, that means it can be formulated in words and uh, delivered to a listening audience, but the listening audience can receive those. words because they are, uh, uh, those words have content. They're, jo- they're not just gibberish. Uh, they, has an, they have an actual content to them, and that is the message of truth that means that uh, the message of truth uh, has a has a category and that means it is truth it is uh, in contrast to non-truth in contrast to falsehood in contrast to deception in contrast to any number of other categories what we communicate is the truth that's what the word of god is that's what the gospel is in fact in colossians chapter 1 uh, verse uh, verse 5b and 6 it says the word of truth the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. We communicate a um, a gospel message. It is the good news of Christ. Yes, and it is the truth. In fact, Jesus Himself said and claimed to be the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, in Second Timothy chapter two verse fifteen, it says, "Be diligent to present yourself to prove to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word." Of truth. That's the reason why we are committed to this expositional. um, uh, program of, of doing this, uh, this way is, is that, uh, a preacher can launch into all sorts of subjects and, uh, you can be caught up in listening to the preacher and his words and never get to the truth. And, and so that's the reason why we want to do this in an expositional fashion to unfold the truth that is in front of us. This is the message of truth. And, and it says, in fact, in James chapter 1, verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that he would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So we now are the first fruits among his creatures. We belong to him. Why? Because the word of truth has brought us forth. And that uh, language in James chapter 1, 18, that language actually, means uh, uh, the new birth. That's what he's referring to. The new birth was brought about by the word of truth. What is that word of truth? It is the gospel of your salvation. We'll get into that right after this break. So then, welcome back. He's talked about the message of, the, of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And um, in order to understand the gospel of our salvation that we have received, at least uh, those of us who have received it, um, we need to clarify uh, that message of truth uh, because there's lots of uh, gospel messages, you might say. In fact, even in the New Testament, there are, are, uh, uh, could be uh, labeled um, several messages that were good news and, and that's what the gospel means is good news. Uh, but uh, there were things that were proclaimed as good news, but it did not necessarily include the gospel of our salvation. And um, what I mean by that, by that is that even during Jesus's earthly ministry in the presentation of uh, those books we call the gospels, uh, Jesus uh, himself um, didn't proclaim the good news of his own death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, he proclaimed a different good news and that good news was the Messiah was here and that meant he was there prepared to deliver the kingdom. And uh, the kingdom was here. That's why it's called many times the gospel of the kingdom. But that is uh, good news, uh, uh, sure enough, but uh, it is still not the uh, the the gospel of our salvation and, uh... That came along after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Now, there's lots of messages and lots of words and lots of sermons in the book of Acts which uh, many people try to quote and try to quote uh, various sentences from uh, different preachers. And, uh, and yet, uh, those quotations have to be taken in their context because that, uh, those uh, statements uh, themselves may not necessarily be a full expression of the gospel of truth, the gospel of our salvation. The safest place to go, I believe, to understand uh, the gospel of our salvation is to go where Paul actually elucidates the gospel of our salvation, and that's First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, uh, verses one through eight. Uh, even though it continues on in some ways, the paragraph continues all the way through verse 11. But this is where we actually have a complete and clear definition of the gospel of our salvation, the gospel we proclaim. It uh, Yes, uh, it, uh, it brings people into the kingdom, and yes, it brings people to the Messiah, Jesus, and all of those things are true, but this is the gospel that saves us, and that's exactly. Exactly the way Paul defines it here. It is a good news of salvation for us and that says in verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 15 of the book of 1 Corinthians, I'm going to read it here, it says this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there's lots of ways in which you might believe the message you might say well that's a factual message or i agree with uh, a big part of that but uh, but uh, it's a different thing to to place your trust in the message of this good news this particular good news that includes the, the, part of the message that saves us. And, um, uh, and, uh, that means that, uh, s- some have, have just, uh, had some sort of maybe an intellectual kind of, uh, approach to, to Jesus and to the Bible. And, um, maybe they never fully trusted in him, uh, and never trusted for salvation. They might have trusted him for healing. They might have trusted him for safety uh, in travels. They may have uh, trusted him for blessing of a good job or or any number of other things, uh, happiness in the family. Uh, they may have trusted Jesus for any number of things. But here, this is the idea of trusting for our salvation. Those That is what saves. And so he continues on in verse three, to define this gospel. And that's what it says uh, in verse 3 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. I'll continue reading. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That is a replacement of him on our behalf. He took our judgment. He took our penalty for our sins. That is the part of the gospel. It isn't the fact that That Jesus was such a nice teacher, or that he was a reliable prophet, but is the fact that he died as our. Substitute. He paid the penalty for sin, even though he had no sin in himself, uh, and that he was buried. That is part of the evidence that he actually died, is the reason why that phrase is in there, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That means the resurrection validated his, his death as the payment for our sin. If he hadn't have risen from the dead, that meant that uh, he would have died for his own sin, and uh, his his death as a substitute payment would not have been validated but now that he's risen from the dead it means that he had no uh no sins to pay for for his for himself that means that he himself was god in the flesh his resurrection validates his identity validates his his origin his origin is from all eternity his origin is he is the son of god uh encapsulated as being the son of man on earth and, uh, being substituted for us and dying for our sins. And his resurrection is the validation of all of that. And it says, and that he appeared and notice throughout the, the rest of this paragraph all the way down through, uh, Oh, I don't know, verse eight or nine or 10. It says he appeared to Cephas and uh, verse six. He's says he appeared to 500 brethren at one time. Um, and then verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, uh, as to one untimely board, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles, and he continues on. So his appearances are the evidence of his resurrection, just like his burial is evidence of his actual death on the cross. But the message is in is uh, um, the fact that he died on behalf of our sins. He is the substitute sacrifice and he paid that penalty. That is the message, the good news of the gospel. That is the message that saves us. And so that's what Paul is getting at when he says, you've believed, you've, after listening to the messages of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, they exercised saving faith in in the message. The message communicated truths that otherwise they might not have known. They might have misunderstood. They might have just associated the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was just this misunderstood uh, Jewish person from from Galilee that uh, the uh, Judean uh, Jews never really completely understood and and because they didn't understand him, then they, they crucified him. But there was something more going on and that's the part where uh, we're having believed. We trust that what God has claimed about uh, the work of Christ, what Jesus has claimed about his own work, what the what his work has validated about his words, about himself. Uh, all of those things are connected together. Having also believed in that, we've trusted in that. Then look at this: you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. Of promise. So now there is this new work, this new work of God on our behalf, and that work is the sealing work. And uh, that means that uh, from that culture, the image is that when when someone put a padlock on something, there wasn't any padlock in those days. But uh, but uh, especially when they when they sealed something they would put uh, some wax on it and they would put a stamp in the wax so that if it was ever tampered with that that seal would be cracked or broken and uh, uh, the seal was a uh, was a was a demonstration of of genuineness it was also a, a demonstration of ownership of who owned this piece of property and uh, it was also a an, uh, uh, a visual image of security that the the person who put that seal is also the person responsible for the safety and the security of uh, the document or the the contents behind that seal and uh, it also represented a, a finished transaction and uh, so all those things have been uh, have uh, been uh, uh, appropriated to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is amazing. The Holy Spirit has sealed us in him. He's put his seal on us. Us the same way that uh, that uh, certain organizations and certain uh, businesses will put their their seal. Uh, the Better Business Bureau will have a seal on certain uh, uh, businesses, and uh, they'll actually have a little sticker in their window. And uh, the same way with uh, tons of other things, where you look for the seal. Uh, if you're if you're a corporation that's that's uh, uh, functioning with a with a with a seal, you uh, the the signatories. Uh, put their signatures down at the bottom, and then there's the corporate seal. And that uh, means a validation. Well, the Holy Spirit has sealed us uh, in him. And in fact, later on, he uses the same language again in chapter four, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So not only is there a program and a purpose that God has for us, but the Holy Spirit is our seal. And, uh, and that is the Holy Spirit of promise. It says, "He's He's been promised in the past." According to Luke chapter twenty-four, verse forty-nine, "Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father." He's referring to the Holy Spirit. Um, John chapter seven, verses thirty-eight and thirty-nine, it says, uh, "He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water." But this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So the spirit of God has been promised. He's also called the, uh, the helper in John 14, verses 16 and 17. He's called the spirit of truth. And uh, he's been sent as a promise to us, and he's been sent as a seal. Finally, verse 14 says, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. That word pledge is a, uh, is a word that means that. Adapt- down payment, or it could also refer to something like like an engagement ring. The Spirit of God is our engagement ring with Christ to show that we have been sealed with him, and we've been pledged to him, and the Spirit of God has done that work of putting that seal upon us, and he himself, the Spirit that is, is the pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. God is going to redeem us in the sense that uh, the payment has already been paid, but he's going to redeem and ransom our bodies. That's what he referred to earlier in the book, that uh, we will receive a body like his body. And we have been given a pledge that he will accomplish exactly that. Romans chapter eight, verse 23 says, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body though that will be the day where we will be placed publicly and acknowledged as as uh, adoption as sons. We've already been adopted spiritually, but our physical bodies have, have not caught up with our adoption. And in that day, we will be placed as adult sons ready to receive the inheritance. Those are the things we've already talked about. And now, the Spirit of God is our pledge towards that inheritance, toward that Full redemption of our physical bodies uh, for God's own possession. Do you realize that God has done all of this so that he could uh, claim us as his inheritance? This Not only do we inherit uh, heaven, but he inherits us as a reflection of his glory. And that's the way Paul concludes this next uh, a set of ideas to the praise of his glory. It is all for his glory. It is all so that we reflect his glory in our existence, in our character, in our dimension of living. We are reflecting the designer in our design. Finally, through Jesus and his death on the cross, we find redemption and a future redemption even of the resurrection of our bodies. Father, thank you that he paid the full penalty for us on the cross as our substitute so that we could enjoy heaven with him, not just in a location, but in a new purpose of reflecting his glory and his name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of feeding the flock.